it's another bull in the basement. And the only reason I have my next guest on is because we played golf, not together, but we played golf at Pendleton Creek, formerly known as Tantara the other day. And he pulls up next to my golf cart and his golf cart. And he goes, when am I getting on bull in the basement? Just a few days later, you're booked and on camera, Kevin Sylvester. How are you? Good. See, I, I've made, I've done a nice job being my own agent all these years right. and it works again. So, great to be here. Sadly, I don't pay. <laughs> oh, maybe a beer next time I see you. That's about, okay. that's about it. I'm in for that. Okay, good. So anyway, um, you, radio, TV, Sirius XM, website, podcast, what's left for you to do, pal? Uh, make money. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, we're, we're both in that same club. I know how it is. Yes, no, no, no. Attempting this, it's been a uh, it's very it's been a very interesting career, and I, I feel weird saying career bowl because I, I feel like I'm still young. Uh, I feel like I, I I'm just getting started still uh, in a way. But then I think back to all the cool things I do. Matter matter of fact, that day I, I saw you uh, at Pendleton Creek. Uh, I was playing golf. Uh, my friends at Michelob Ultra, sorry to drop a sponsor, but all good. My friends at Michelob Ultra. Um, I know they. I know now that they have marketing money. So I drink beer. <laughs> I'm in my basement. I have a kegerator making all. There you go. Cool. <laughs> they, they, they do a promotion uh, where you know folks could win uh, a round of golf with me. So we've done a few of them this year, and that group was there. So I was telling them the story, and I was telling them how, yeah, you know, when I covered training camp at Fredonia, all right. So I go back that far. And it's just kind of cool to tell stories about, you know, Thurman Thomas and Jim Kelly and all of a sudden, I, I, it just made me think like, wow, it's pretty amazing. I got to do that super young in my career. And then now I get to walk fairways with Phil Mickelson, Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods and company. So it's, it's been pretty great and a whole lot of stuff in between there. Yeah, that does not suck at all. So, okay, you mentioned being a young man. We're both 50-ish. Um, and before I even get into the whole like career and golf and stories and media and all that stuff that we both have done, we had some really interesting conversation after golf the other day with, you know, having a couple of beers and I don't have kids, but most of my friends are our age and have kids that are approaching, you know, like junior, senior college, early college years. And we had this conversation, two, two different conversations, but they were both about the same thing, generally about kids, adolescents, young adults in 2021 compared to what we were in, I guess, the 80s, right? For most of yeah. us yeah. Uh, or early 90s, whatever the case may be. And, and a couple of things we talked about were like drinking, like when we were kids, like we would go to the beach or the railroad crossing or the woods or anywhere we could go. So we couldn't be found. And it was just a thing to do. It was a, a young adult uh, adolescence pastime to go drinking and get a buzz and whatever. Um, and that in 2021, it's not really a thing that I'm aware of. I mean, most of the guys that I know that have kids that are, you know, junior, senior high school or early college, like their thing is like video games or sports or social media, which is odd for us to even grasp, I think. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's different, but in a good way. Yeah, in a great <laughs> for, way. Our for obvious way. reasons. Uh, Unless, of yeah. course, they're doing things on social media they shouldn't be, which some do. Correct. Right? Correct. Yes. Which you have to police. And that's another thing in 2021, the parents have to do that they didn't have to do when we were kids. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's different. Like, you know, anytime I get frustrated uh, with like how much video game time or something, my teenage son, uh, God, it was just yesterday. I'm like, dude, yeah, go outside just for, you know, uh, and he's, in, you know, he's, he's into so many other things. Like your mind's not doing this, this and that he's actually practicing guitar right now as we're doing this, I'm like, cool. He's practicing a little Metallica, yeah. you know, I'm like, all right, awesome. Um, but <laughs> I'm thankful, Mike, he didn't do the stupid things that uh, uh, most of us, uh, our age bracket are not proud of and classify as stupid, uh, <laughs> you know, especially those that grew up in rural areas, you know? Right. Um, so I, I'm thankful for that, but yeah, it, it's different. 
And uh, I think in a good way. So <laughs> I, I don't know which one of us, because there was four of us sitting at the table. One of us said something about, man. And, and I can refer to this too directly because uh, my relatives have a, a, a kid that's going off to school and, and another kid that's about to go off to school in terms of college. And these kids are like the best kids on the planet. And they play sports and they're involved in like student government and clubs and art and you name it. And so drinking for them is like a joke. We're like, hey, did you guys have like a big party? And did you, did you guys, do you drink a lot? Is that a thing? And they're like, nah. And so my, my one relative was just like, man, I got to get my kid drunk. And I think one of us at the table said that just so they know that when they go to college and I'm not talking about like pledging or hazing, obviously right, that's yeah. horrific. I'm just talking about, you're just going to a kegger on a Friday or Saturday night at college. And maybe it's your first exposure to like mass party drinking. And so the one of us, I can't remember which one of us said it, but it was like, man, I got to get my kid drunk just the one time, just so they know how it feels when it's happening. And I'm going to police it obviously. And then how it feels the next day after you've done it. Yeah, no, yeah, it was the other other fellow there who was saying it, and uh, I'm like, yeah, I, could, I guess I could kind of understand that because you wouldn't want that first experience to be uh, in that uncontrolled environment, right? Right. Um, yeah, that was <laughs> that was an interesting com. It's interesting talking about it now, but it's an interesting conversation that, like, yeah, is uh, those who have kids watching as they get older, like, you got to start thinking about that stuff, right? Like. Um, you know, do I got to start policing the beer fridge at home? Do I, you know, and like, do we do this? And, you know, I, I have a daughter in college and she's, uh, she's just like, dad, I don't want to, it's fine. No, no problem. Yeah, right. are, you <laughs> are you trying to get my blessing on that? Yeah. You just, you just want to go and study and do a clubs and stuff. Amen. Right. hundred <laughs> percent. So that was one of the interesting conversations we had. And then the other one, again, similarly showing the total differences over the last gosh, 40 years-ish that it's been, 30 years, we'll call it. Um, when we were kids, we could not wait to get our driver's license, right? I mean, we yes. couldn't wait. Like that day when you turn 16, you go get your permit test, you sit at the desk, you do the written test, and then you find out how you do, and then you immediately set up your driver's test. And for me, so dad, I never really drove much. Dad would take me to MCC in Rochester, the community college there, and take me and just drive the loop and drive yeah. in the parking lots and whatever. That's kind of how I learned to drive. But as soon as I could get my driver's test, I took it. And I listen, I had a great guy that basically took me on my test um, because I probably should have failed, but he let me do my K-turn twice and passing was an 80 and he gave me an 81. I don't know how I possibly even got it on the first try, but needless to say. So kids, again, in this AR age group that have kids that are around driving age, they're like, eh, I don't care about driving. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> driving? <laughs> Mom and dad take me everywhere. <laughs> driving a car? I don't need a car. Yeah. yeah well, so it, it, I, two funny stories. Or at least I think are funny with that. So when I was uh, the first time I drove a car was I, was I was 14 years old. And if my mom's watching this, she'll be pissed uh, seeing this. But we had this Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme we were selling. Like, you know, I grew up, again, uh, Waterloo, New York, but I was really junior. So, you know, kind of country. Think Outlet Mall along the throughway. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, we put up, I put up a dunk rim uh, in my driveway, right? So like eight and a half foot. So it could all feel like we were you know, Clyde Drexler, uh, Michael Jordan slamming it. And I remember calling my buddy Brian up and I'm like, Hey, can you come out? He's like, got oh, my parents at work. It's summer. I, I said, I'll get you. Like, what do you mean? I'll get you. Yeah. Me and, uh, you know, me and another buddy, we'll come get you. Like I said, don't worry about it. And so I just took the for sale sign down on the car. I, you know, I was 14. I drove, <laughs> I drove the car down. He's like, what are you doing? I go, just get in the freaking car come on back home and get a ride home and, and, and parked it. And uh, again, something if my kids did, I would kill them. It's funny. So my, my daughter, she's 19 now. When she got her permit, um, I <laughs> drive her home. And I pulled over to church about oh, maybe a half mile from our house. I go, all right, get in there. Let's drive home. She's like, what? I go, yeah, you got your permit. She's like, I never driven. I don't know how to drive. Like, <laughs> I've never done this. And she starts freaking out. And then my wife's yelling at me like, 
what, why'd you have her drive? I'm like, well, she's got to permit. She's got to learn somehow. She's like, yeah, no, 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 no. We got to take her, you know, in the old tops parking lot, or like you said, the loop and, um, and to get him some experience there. And yeah, my, my youngest who he has his permit. And I said to him, like, dude, we need to practice more because at some point, you know, you're going to want to, you know, go on a date <laughs> and not every dad, <laughs> not every dad drop it right. off and, you know, be, Hey, so how are things going? Right. You know, so, <laughs> We'll see how that goes. hundred <laughs> percent. That is so funny. But man. you know, the other thing was, so, but growing up in the country, like, you know, I cut the grass on a tractor. My neighbors had a tractor. We were mini, but you know, all these things. And just now with all these activities, there's not that free time, you know, we got push mower, all those things. Like there's not the, um, unless you go to the goat cart track, those even exist anymore. Um, you know, uh, they, they don't get the driving, you know, around the yard and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, what was your first car? Was that it? No, my first car was a, uh, <laughs> my buddy's called the Millennium Falcon. It was so big. The 19, as a 77 Monte Carlo white with a red interior. Um, that thing was in a 305 engine. Uh, that thing was a beast. And the, the nice part was we used to, uh, another buddy had a Chevy Nova and we would race to American Legion ball games. Like we Clyde Savannah, who could get there. And I remember one time we got there in 12 minutes. It was stupid how fast we were going again, something else. My kids are watching. I'll kill you if you do it. <laughs> yeah. 79 Buick Skylark here. It was kind of a lime green white yeah. leather interior with, with the um, Casio cassette in dash stereo. I didn't even have a cassette, dude. I didn't have a cassette. I just you know, had the radio. Just radio? Yeah. Just the radio. Yeah. I had a buddy who had a car. God, it, what the hell is this car? He had an eight-track player. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for so, sure. That yeah. was that was cool. Dude, I had my, a- my favorite, my favorite, my second car. I remember my summer job. I saved up money and I bought a I was an 81 Toyota Celica GT with a moonroof, hatchback, rear wheel drive, which is great in the winters, not really. But man, you crank that roof open. Oh, I drove the girls crazy. Oh, what is it? Right. What is it about the second car? Because my second car was a 78 BMW 320i. Same thing. Two door, sunroof, the whole deal. Five, four, five, uh, whatever speed it was. But still, it was badass. Until, of course, I figured out at the age of 19 or 20, whatever it was when I had it, how expensive it was to fix a BMW. Then I had to unload it because I couldn't afford to fix the ultimate oil leak that it had and engine replacement that it needed because I probably beat the crap out of it and didn't take good enough care of it to keep it where it should have been. The other thing about that Celica, it was a GT, it was a five speed, um, you know, which was awesome. And I think I paid 600 bucks for it. Yeah. Back in 1990, I paid 600 bucks for it. I would not put anyone in a car I pay 600 bucks for now. Right. But back then it's like someone's yard, 600, yeah, you got it, you know, yeah. make it work. And that's back when you could work on the cars too. Uh-huh. I used to change my own oil. You know, if something I could change a spark plug, these engines now you can't, uh, you know, it's all you have to plug them in. Yeah. It's right? crazy. Yeah. Uh, so you probably got the Celica and I probably got the BMW for the same reasons. Did it work for that reason for you? Because it didn't for me. I just, I've, I've never had game. I still don't have much game now. I thought the BMW was going to be Insta game. It just didn't work out. Yeah, I thought it was a cool car. Yeah, um, I didn't have a ton of game. Um, as, as, my, <laughs> as my wife tells me all the time, you have no game. I said, you know what? My game ended 22 years ago or 23 years ago when you said yes. So, <laughs> Great answer. Use that, fellas. Use yes. that. That's right. Speaking of aging, how often do you, because I'm just finding out now, because my, speaking of wives, my wife will occasionally point it out to me, like, because ultimately if we're out together, it could potentially be embarrassing. Well, it would be embarrassing for me, but potentially embarrassing for her. But how often are you, as you start to age, are you looking for three different things? And they all are all all regarding hair, ear, nose, and gray. Because I nonstop, that's all I'm looking for all the time. And it's depressing. Yeah. Um, the uh, it's amazing that the, the nose hair is like, I mean, come on. Like I seem like I'm trimming them every other day and uh, the grays, like, you know, I, I didn't shave today, which before you started recording, like, thanks for shaving for me. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> and uh, 
which is kind of funny because people are used to, you know, see me on TV and like, oh, I don't recognize you with the uh, five o'clock shadow or the beard. And I'm like, this is actually how I am, except for when I'm on television. Right. For the most part, I always, uh, always had the five o'clock shadow. Um, but yeah, now, like I had a good COVID beard going, like, I mean, it was good. And there was just way too much gray in there. And my daughter said to me, dad, who's trying to look older? Nobody shave. I'm like, oh, great, great point. So, um, so far, so good on the ears, I think. Good for you. Uh, man, the grays. Oh, God. And then I think the first gray hair I saw was on my chest, like, you know, in my in my early 30s. I was like, oh, what the hell is that? You know, Yeah, my wife pointed one out to me the other day in the pool. She's like, you have a gray chest. Yet? I'm like, no, I don't. I mean, yeah. I got like angry about it. No, no, no. That's blonde. But it's, not it's OK on the sides. Like, you know, I've got it like, you know, kind of on the sides. Um, it's distinguished look. But yeah, you, now got, you, got, start, you got like wings now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's starting to infiltrate, you know, the top. <laughs> I take my hat off, but my hair is so terrible. I haven't showered yet. OK. But, uh, I, you know, it, it's just starting to infiltrate the top. And now it's like, all right, well, do I want to go with the and I I remember this the one time with Roby. Mike Robitaille used to do the Sabres things with. I'm like, dude, your hair is orange, man. Like, the, like, just stop. If you're dying your hair and you go, like, guys have that you go jet black, right? You can go, uh, I don't know, platinum blonde, but they try to go brown and then it just, it ends up looking orange. Yeah. No good. Yep. yep. 100%. Kevin Sylvester, my good buddy's on with us. Um, he does so much stuff. Sirius XM for golf coverage. You did, obviously, you mentioned the Sabres. You've done TV. You've done radio. Um, T to green, obviously we'll talk about for sure. Um, I, I just want to touch on one more thing very quickly about sure. kids and driving. Um, I didn't do the math, but I'm just, let's just say, cause kids are so savvy with their, um, devices right now. So I'm just curious if some of them think that they could actually, and they're, they're so much smarter than we are now than when we were at that age. So I'm, I'm just curious how many of them are actually thinking, that they could actually, let's say just Monday through Friday. Now this would, you know, on the weekend, or if you're going on vacation, this probably wouldn't count because it would be unaffordable. But if they're thinking that they could Uber, let's say, you know, when they get to work age, that they actually could, let's say you spend 50 bucks a day on Uber. Yeah. Well, that's 250 a Monday through Friday. That's a thousand a week on, on Uber. So that's, well, 52 grand. Yeah, it would not be affordable, whatever. But I'm curious how many of them actually think that they could do that and offset the cost of what it would have for a payment, insurance, gas, upkeep. And if it's even close or not, I don't think it is, but. No, it wouldn't be close. I think they're thinking um, even differently because we already have the technology a little bit now with Tesla's right. Self-driving. I think they're thinking I'm not going to have to drive because the car is going to drive itself. And, you know, they're going to, you know, what, 10 years from now, maybe, maybe sooner like yep. plug in destination and it takes you where you got to go. Boom. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I could totally see that happen. Or they think Musk is going to have that tunnel everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. It's going to get in a portal <laughs> at some point. They're going to be able to walk out to their, you know, their garage is going to be a portal and they're going to go in a tube and it's going to shoot <laughs> where they need to go. Or they're not going to have to go anywhere. Right. I mean, yeah. this, the pandemic, like we can all uh, look, we could do this from uh, home. Now it's pretty yeah. incredible, which wouldn't, you know, our professors back when we went to broadcasting school never would have thought this was possible. I, I remember graduating and, and working at BEN and doing commercials on reel to reel, you know, back from like sophomore year in college. I'm like, we didn't even have that technology in college. We're doing reel to reel. Thinking back then, we'd be able to broadcast from home, Pfft, not a chance. So it's going to, it's going to evolve so rapidly. Um, who knows? There's going to be bubbles. We'll just be flying. Yeah. You know? Probably true. Probably too. Um, so for those of you that are not in Western New York watching this, yeah, Kevin's been doing media in Buffalo for years. Like I said, uh, Sabres coverage. You can say legend. I'm just a Buffalo broadcasting legend. Someone introduced me as that at a charity thing uh, prior to the pandemic. I go, what the hell? I'm not, <laughs> I like Irv Weinstein's a legend. I'm, right. I'm yeah. not a legend. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're junior legend, maybe. Okay. Like sure. I didn't want to use king of all media, even though you've done all media, but the, you know what the, the, the most complimentary thing and yet worse thing is, but I, so I travel quite a bit and inevitably someone at the airport and a flight back to Buffalo was, Hey, are you, 
are you Kevin Sylvester? I'm like, yeah. I said, oh, I grew up watching you on Sacred. <laughs> I was like, damn, am I really? You grew up watching me? Jeez. I don't know yeah. if you're swearing on this, but I was about to say yeah. something. But. Yeah, it's all right. You, whatever you got to do. <laughs> I, I, you're right. It is a shock to the system, man. You know, yeah. like, I'll, someone is, hey, my, I, I remember, you know, I was like uh, in middle school listening to you when you were on the edge. Like, oh. Yeah, right. Well, and, and you know, uh, well, I'm a Reeve from CMF. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny on the, on the other side of that, this just happened at a golf outing. This guy says to me, man, man, it's been, it must've been tough on you this, this past season commenting, you know, on, on the TV show, the Sabres, man, that just makes your job tougher. <laughs> I said, I said, you know, I haven't been on the television broad, broadcast in it's now nine years, 2012. Mm-hmm. And his look on his face, I go, that's okay. No one else has been watching either. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? so, <laughs> so, Listen, man, I get the same thing from doing Bill's radio. Exactly. Right. Man, I love you on the post game show. It's, but I don't tell him. I just nod my head and say, hey, thanks, yeah. man. Also, you know, you, whatever. Well, uh, I, I, I usually don't, but uh, this fellow was being a little obnoxious, yeah. uh, you know, in other ways. So that's what I told him. But it's all complimentary. Sure. It's, you know, it's flattering when someone comes up to you in public or says, Hey, I recognize your voice bowl. And, and they know who you are, or they see you and say, Hey, I, I miss you. And, and I was like, Hey, you know, that means, that means a lot. It means no you doubt have, about have it. a connection to the yeah, audience. For sure. Um, so T to green is your baby. And I want to talk about Sirius XM too, because I think it's super cool. Sure. But how did you ultimately get into this whole golf thing, man? I mean, clearly <laughs> you love the game, but how did that even spawn? And we may get to fishing if we have time. Sure. I know you, you dove into that. Nice, uh, nice, uh, work Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, not even, but yeah. Um, yeah. so, so here's a, so T degree and, and well, I even go, I'll go back further, uh, to when I was at WBEN in 1997, 98, that, that hockey season, Lindy Ruff, I think it was his first year as coach. I hosted the Lindy Ruff show on WBEN. So it was Monday nights, like at 6 PM. And then we do like Monday night quarterback. I got hosted that show with Larry Felzer. What a treat that was. The late, great Larry Felzer. He was just a gem of a guy. Love working with him. He called me kid all the time. I, I love Larry. But anyways. And, and hold on, so, let me interrupt very quickly. Yeah. So for those of you that are out of town that know names like, you know, Tony Kornheiser, uh, Mike Wilbon, you know, the Bob Ryan, all these now newspaper writers that are on TV. That was Larry Felzer in Buffalo. Yes. I mean, he was... Yeah one of the most respected sports writers in the entire nation. Um, and that would, so that was Larry Felser, just to give yeah. people that idea that, that aren't from Buffalo, they don't know the name, but he was a legend. Continue. Sorry. No, no, no. Good. I'm, I'm glad you explained that, what that was. So anyways, Lindy Ruff was coach of the Sabres. And then we had this hole coming up. This is spring of 98. And I went to our program director and I said, Hey, um, can I do a golf show from six to seven in that hole? And they're like a golf show. What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to find a pro. I'm going to have him on and people call in and we'll answer their questions. And then, you know, maybe I'll go and uh, interview uh, course managers about the course, the design and stuff. And I'm like, all right, we'll give it a try. And it turns out, you know, depending upon, uh, you know, whoever chronicles this stuff, it, it was one of the first or first recorded golf radio shows um, on a mainstream station in the country. The only reason I know this was, Sale Mayorana, who is, is still a Bills writer, Rochester DNC. Um, so he contacted me and he said, Hey, Kev, I got to write this little blurb for a PJ magazine, little section notes, Western New York section. And I hear you do the show. And I'm like, Yeah, 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 sure. I tell him about the show. Calls me like a few days later. They want to do a full page thing on it in PJ magazine, the back page. Can you send me a picture? So my dad was like into photography then. I'm like, dad, can you come take a picture of me? And Gary Battistoni was the golf pro. So he comes to the studio, takes his photo. And so the back page of PGA Magazine is this article, our picture in there, golf on the radio. And if I were, if it were now or a little, little more savvy in my career, man, I would have taken huge advantage, you know, advantage of this. But I didn't know what the hell was going on. Everybody's calling the program director. Yeah, this is how they do the show. Just giving away industry secrets, right? <laughs> um, but ever since then, uh, you know, we did that show for a few years. I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, did a show there, came back. I decided, you know what? I'm, I'm going to procure the time myself, sell it, and uh, take it know, to TV. 
And, and then I, then I decided after the first year, you know, I started doing TV for the Sabres. I'm like, TV is easy. Let's do it on television. So uh, I was a college friend who uh, knew how to run the camera and produce things. And uh, he and I started the TV show. Uh, he's moved on to other ventures. So now we produce a, we've done 14 years. Uh, we do a spring special now on channel two. Uh, it's just too costly to do week in and week out um, uh, production costs to do it and where I can make it reasonable for sponsors to get on board. And plus there's so many other outlets, right? I mean, someone sure. wants to watch yeah. golf tips, they can go watch it on YouTube, yeah. but I've got, I've had great partners locally, great partners of channel two uh, to keep it going. I enjoy doing it. I'm not a golf pro, but I play one on television and on the radio. So it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun and it it's turned into um, my career announcing golf for PGA Tour Radio, which uh, is just uh, a thrill. And I, I got. I, I, go ahead, finish your. Story. No, I was just gonna say I, I never dreamed. Of, like when I went to college at Fredonia, I never dreamed of doing the things that I've done and did. Like I always thought I want to be the next Van Miller, and you know I'll be on. I'll put it right here. When Murph retires, I want to be the next guy. <laughs> Who doesn't, right? Who right. doesn't in Buffalo be a brush? So I'm not making a crazy statement there. But I never thought I'd announce Buffalo Sabres games. Um, I never thought I'd announce professional golf. Um, but uh, I, I did the Sabres, loved it, um, doing professional golf, and absolutely love it and hope I do it the rest of my career. It is cool, man. I, and I have heard you do – I've been driving around in my car – I would put on Sirius XM and the PGHN, which is uh, 90, 91. 92. 92, that's what Sirius, I thought. Uh, it's 92 and 108, yeah. right, you know, whatever service you have. So, also free, by the way, you can listen on your phone and on your app. You just go to PGA Tour app, and they've got a little headset there. You listen for free. During oh, even better. Even yeah. better. So, I, but I, so I've heard you do it, and I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I know this guy. He's on, war, he's on global radio doing these these pga events so i want to ask you more about that but i want to ask you a couple yeah. of other things golf wise so according to all the people you've talked to over the years teaching pros actual players what should be or is the most important part of somebody's golf game oh wow because i know what i would say well I, I, you know well it's not, it's, it, that answer depends on um, expectation, I guess. But listen, the, the short game is the most important piece of the game. That's chipping and putting. Like if you, you want to reduce your scores, chip and putt, chip and putt, chip and putt, chip and putt. Um, but driving's fun, right? I mean, just be able to get, you know, hit the ball as hard as you can, as far as you can. Uh, driving's fun. And, you know, matter of fact, was it Nicholas says off the tee, that, you know, tee shots, the best Hogan says second shot is more important. Um, so it goes to show you that even two of the greats of all time, and I may even have that backwards on those two, but anyways, um, it just all depends on your perspective. I think the second shot is the most important because, you know, when I see PJ tour players and this is, I tell everybody, uh, expiring, you know, aspiring young players, I've met a few, I'm like, look, they all hit bad tee shots, every single one of them, one or two around for sure. But it's that next shot, right? You never see him or rarely do you ever see him hit two bad ones in a row. Um, so that second shot's important, that green and regulation, uh, super important. I think that's, that's the one I look at. If they can hit greens and regulation, then they're going to have a good round. Okay. You absolutely, you gave me like five answers there to my question, which is whatever. We'll move on. <laughs> um, what's the, putting, putting. I'll just say putting. How's that putting? Well, no, I would say, that's what I would say. I would say your brain, number one. Sure. Cause it, I mean, so much, the game is incredibly psychological, as you know. But then I would say putting for sure. I mean, you watch pros and it's rarely do they three putt. Rarely do they three putt. Right. Um, and I mean, granted, they've been playing golf their entire lives. They know how to read greens and they have caddies that know how to read greens. So they have help. Um, but needless to say, I think putting in your brain are the two most important things. What's the best lesson you ever got? Um, well, it, it, it's a shot that I go back to. Uh, Gary Battistoni, who's a, the local teaching pro that I started that show with, I, I took lessons from him early on, and he goes, this is the base shot you're going to go back to for anything. Things aren't going right or warm up. It's this little, little uh, half pitch, little half pitching wedge. 
It's just this little low pitching wedge shot. He's that'd be the base of your whole swing, and then you just take it back further and further. So every time I warm up, I warm up with that. If I'm struggling, I'm like, I'm going to go to Gary's little base shot there. It could be with a five iron, could be with a seven. That's the best, best lesson I've learned. I'll tell you the best mental lesson I learned just recently. Um, and actually, I'm going to be hosting another chat with this guy this afternoon uh, that we're recording this. Max Homa, right? PJ Tour yeah, yes. Um, tell him about this, will you? Yeah, so um, <laughs> PJ Tour during the pandemic, they've had instead of pro-ams or – um, some other opportunities for fans to see players in person and get autographs. They've created these uh, Zoom chats. So I'm hosting one this afternoon for the FedEx St. Jude Classic. It'll be Max Helmut, Victor Hovland, and there'll be two sessions for MasterCard holders. So if maybe someone watches a MasterCard holder took part, they get to ask questions. I relay the questions to the players. And the, the last one I did with Max Homa, uh, who's a cool dude, and it was great. The first time I met him was on the 14th Green at Riviera early this year when he won in the playoff over Tony Finau, and he's in tears because he won his hometown event. Tiger uh, and all of that. And yeah, yeah, was, that yeah I got to meet Tiger. It was yeah, like just a, that was a super cool deal. But someone, a fan asked him, said, how do you deal with a bad shot? You know, and he said, you know what? He goes, I don't remember who told me this, but I tell everybody this. He goes, why would I focus on one bad shot when I hit 15 great ones? during the round. And that really, I'm like, wow, that really changed my stress level uh, when I'm playing on a, on a golf course. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's cool advice. Like, yeah, right. It makes sense. We all worry about, Oh my God, this costs so much or whatever. Like why focus on the one uh, thing that's not how you plan isn't going away when so many other things are going right. Have you ever broken a club middle mid round? I came, you know, I came really close (laughs) this year. Really close in a tie. I almost snapped it over my knee. I was just so I don't understand. I I I I almost snapped the wedge over my knee, and I was just like, "All right, not." I mean, I'll toss them just to get rid of some of that energy. And then I then after I do it, I'm just like, "What? Why? What are you getting so mad about here?" You know. See, here's the danger of you know getting your handicap at a certain level. All right, so mine's six right now. and which is which is pretty decent. Yeah, and, I don't like you very much. Yeah, no. you, you suck. And I'm like, but your ex, my expectation is, hey, I'm going to go out there. I better, I better shoot sub 78. Right. And uh, you know, and then I, if I don't, I'm like, oh, when I get mad, I'm like, what the hell are you getting mad for? There are guys who would kill to, you know, do that. So yeah. Quick tantrum story. I think you'll enjoy. I'm like 19 or 20 playing golf with my uh my childhood buddies that i had learned to play golf with for for five to seven years playing munis in rochester we're out in churchville at the muni muni there we're on a par three now all my buddies were way better golfers than me so uh, my one buddy he gets up on the par three it's i don't know 170 yards whatever but it's tee box pond green and we know what water water is a magnet i mean water gets in people's heads immediately on a par three so he gets up there and this kid's steady. He's 19. He probably shoots on average, low eighties, really solid golfer. So he hits his first tee shot in the water. And, and Oh, by the way, he's got a little bit of an edge in terms of temper when it, any kind of competition he's a part of, right? First one goes to the water. I'm like, ah, hit another one, whatever. Take a strike. Second one in the water. Now he, you can see he's starting to steam. I mean, he is bubbling. He's broiling underneath. It's getting third one into the water we're like oh my god this is not gonna be good because i'm hitting one more and if i don't get it on the green that's it i'm done for the day last one fourth one in the water goes to the cart unstraps the bag keeps the entire bag of golf clubs into the (laughs) pond not kidding (laughs) watching this whole thing try like we should have tackled him in advance of the pond but we didn't and when he did it, we're like, what are you going to do? You're 19. You don't have money to go out and go get a whole new set of clothes. What? You idiot. And of course, he didn't go and fish him out or jump in the pond to grab him. He just sat in the cart and steamed. Later, he could laugh about it. But that's the, that's the worst tantrum I've ever seen live or on television in, in any kind of a golf setting. It was hysterical I, I, and crazy. 
I control them now. I just, I had one a couple of weeks ago. See, I only do it if I'm in a competition, if I'm in a match, right? So I was at an invitational and I'm playing with my best friend I grew up with. We've known each other since we're four years old. And I just, I, the second shot I hit on this hole, I wasn't happy with. And the third didn't come out great. It was a little wedge shot. And I had two wedges in my hand. And I go, guys, sorry, I got to do this. And I, you know, I just, I, like, I was just controlled, but I'm like, I just got to do this. And, and I, and I just helicopter. It didn't go as far as I want to go, guys, that didn't, that wasn't good enough. I need to do it again. And then I just, I gave it like all I want, you know, <laughs> across the cart path on the next hole. And I'm like, okay, I'm good now. Sorry guys. I just needed to do that. <laughs> they, they were laughing. It was kind of like, I was like, excuse me, sir, may I please throw my golf club? It was kind of how I, but I just needed the, the energy and I didn't want to slam it in the ground. And uh, this is what's so great about golf is every guy around our age has a million golf stories. So I'm going to add a story to yours. Similar playing just a BS round with a bunch of guys, a morning after a drunk We're we're not feeling great. We're on the tee box, hit a terrible shot. And they, they, they created this rule that once on, I don't know if it was, if we played nine or 18 that day, it didn't matter. But once around, you could throw your club. If you had a bad shot off the tee, you, you could, if you wanted to throw your club. And if your club went further than your ball, you can replace your ball where your club fell. Okay. I like that. Yeah. So uh, tee off on this one hole, hit a worm burner. It was awful. I was like, all right, you know, you can throw, here's your, this is your big chance. Throw your club. I'm like, okay. So I throw my club. It goes, I don't know, 30 feet in the air and, 30 yards or something up into a tree <laughs> stays in the tree does not drop out of the tree i'm like come on come you drop out little wind come on wind just just dread. they had to bring a truck out with a ladder some guy had to climb up like 30 feet into this tree to grab my four iron needless to say i never did that again you should have left it it's a four iron those are tough to hit no you're right you're right <laughs> um so uh, what's the best course you ever played? Um, I'll say Pinehurst, Pinehurst number two. That's awesome. Just played it this year. That's awesome. And then after that, I'd say Oak Hill East. Yeah. yeah those two. Yeah. I told you the story the other day about how I uh, played Oak Hill East in um, Payless wingtip uh, pleather dress shoes because they looked like golf shoes. Like I didn't own golf shoes forever. I played in sneakers as a kid. And so I'm probably 23 or four or five. And um, now I might've even been younger than that. And I get a media invite to one of the, the PGA events that was there and I'm playing and I said, I don't have golf shoes, but I wanted to look right. Yes. So I'm wearing yeah. these black leather wingtips with rubber soles on the golf, just so I look good, but I'm sliding all, every shot. I'm sliding my foot, my feet were terrible, but yeah, that's a, that's a oh, amazing golf course to play. I'm speaking of, so you mentioned Victor Hovland mm-hmm. um, and you mentioned Max Homa. Now I don't think Max Homa would be part of the U S U S team, but how about the Ryder cup? Um, I like the U S chances, especially with the likes of Colin Morikawa, the way he's playing, but what do you think about the Ryder cup? I mean, it's so cool that I, I, we think it's going to be back, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's going to be back whistling straights. You know, they delayed it a year because they wanted fans to be there um, because that's the energy. Oh of, yeah. Of the Ryder cup. You know, it, it's, it, it's, it's amazing how Europe, I mean, it is, it's a huge deal for I me. Mean, and I'm not saying it's not a huge deal for the American players, but uh, the European players, I mean, it's just a, it's a different level. I mean, think about Sergio Garcia prior to winning the masters, he was a golfing legend in Europe because of his Ryder cup performance. Right. Whereas in the United States, uh, you'd be like, eh, that's Justin Leonard. Is he a hero? Because yeah, Patrick Reed, right? I mean, we think of we think of just. I'll use Justin Leonard. He's the one who made the putt at Brookline way yeah, back in, in Boston. Day. Yeah, you know, hardcore golf fans like know Justin Leonard. But if you say Justin Leonard, somebody that's who's Justin Leonard? Hey, guys, won two majors. He's won a yeah. PGA Championship what? and an Open Championship. Wasn't he a sprinter or something? Wasn't he like a track guy? Ah, uh, you know, I'm not. No, no, no. I'm kidding. <laughs> like, if you heard Justin Leonard. Right. Random person that's yes. a sport. Uh, I think he didn't he run. Wasn't he on the USA Olympic team or something? No, but golfer. I, I look at Colin Montgomery, 
for example, right? How many times, he, you know, all those close calls at the U.S. Open, but Ryder Cup, man, the guy's a stud uh, and, and a legend for that because uh, they win. And there's just this camaraderie that they have to beat the Americans, right? The rest of the world, had, and you see in the Olympics now, is just beat the Americans. And so, um, and they grow up playing a lot more team golf in Europe, a lot of team match play and a lot of just match play in general than we do here in the United States. I think that's changing a little bit with a lot of things going on. Uh, but it, Team USA is deep. Um, it's about feeding off each other and being able to – and USA, when they went to the pod system under Azinger, that's when they, they won again. Um, yeah, but the talent is so deep. And you got guys like Colin Morikawa. seems like nothing bothers him. Uh, he's so talented. You've got uh, different kind of players in DeChambeau, which the ball a freaking mile. you got Kepka, you know, those two – Whatever's going on with those two, I, I think they'll have a beer and get over it. This is my opinion. Um, but, uh, you know, Kepka's a, a great player, and he's not talked about much. Dustin Johnson. Yeah. Uh, just, JT. It, yeah. It's it, you know, Patrick Reed, who, who gets fired up for these things. Whether or not Mickelson makes a team or not, I think he's got to have a good week this week at the FedEx St. Jude and, and a good uh, good little run in the playoffs there for Steve Stricker to, uh, to pick him as a captain's pick. So there's so many options for Team USA. Uh, a talent pool so deep. Um, and I just think it'll be a fantastic match. It always comes down to Sunday. In the yeah. See, the individual matches, Team USA does great. And it's the team one that they struggle a bit with um, because of style. But the last time out, you may recall, like in France, they I mean, they narrowed the fairways. So like USA, hey, we just bomb it, right? So you get to set the course up the way you want. They set it up perfectly where it, it penalized uh, you know, the United States for not finding fairways. One thing, um, and, and maybe this will be one of our final things, so I know you got to run. Um, with all your golf connections, and we were talking on a course with some friends the other day about how golf is, if you're a fan of golf, it's so fun to watch now because you never know who's going to win. There's not like five top guys. There's like 25 top guys or more. Yeah, are so solid that can pretty much win every week. It's so unpredictable. Uh, and I, in, in saying that, like, I think golf is in an unbelievably great place. Not that, I mean, I, I would, I would understand the argument that yes, they need some sort of air quotes leadership, you know, or that primary guy to kind of lead the charge, but the whole setup for this. And the point of the question is amongst all your golf chat and the people you talk to in the industry is is Tiger done? I mean, no one's talked, no one's talked about Tiger. Tiger's not done anything publicly. He's just, he's like gone. It's, it's well, almost bizarre. There was a photo of him walking into a FOP appointment in LA last week without the, you know, he had a sleeve on the leg and was putting some weight on the leg with crutches. So um, hope there it's his right leg, not his left leg. If it was a left leg, a lot of people think it'd be more problematic. Not that what didn't occur wasn't problematic. Um, because of uh, the, the torque that goes on the left leg. And, you know, you pivot with that right leg. This is Tiger Woods we're talking about. If there were any other golfer, I'd be like, eh, this is Tiger Woods, the, the, the mentally toughest athlete of all time, in my opinion, um, just with what he's had to deal with and, and what he's come through in, in competition. I mean, the guy's tough as nails. So if anybody's going to come back to me, Tiger, I think he will come back. Um, I, I wonder what the accident did on his back. Okay. He was still recovering from a back procedure and, you know, I, I'm no crash expert, no uh, doctor, but uh, rolling over a car, I would have to think does something to your spine. Um, so, it, you know, I just think it's gonna be a longer recovery. Um, you know, if I'm him, this is just, well, just, this is just me guessing. Okay. Um, the 2022 masters would be like a target return. But it wouldn't surprise me if it was a 2023 Masters as, as a target return because of uh, the back and leg and severity. But, but again, this is Tiger Woods. Um, I absolutely rooting for him to come back. Golf needs him. Uh, the players want him back because he just he's done so much for him and so much for the game. It's exciting just to have him in a field. Um, and he is good enough, clever enough to figure out a way to compete. Um, so, you know, it. Will he break Jack Nicholas's major record? Probably not. Although, God, I hate even saying that because um, he, he, you know, Tiger's watching. If he's, he loves Bull in the Basement podcast, he'd be like, damn it, Kevin, I'm going to prove you wrong, and that'd be totally fine. Totally fine. 
uh, with me to do so. I think his best chance is, by the way, doing that Masters and Open Championship. All right. And, and by the way, yeah, Tiger, yeah. if you're watching and you're really that bored, well, <laughs> you clearly know where to find Bull in the Basement. So anyway. Um, yeah, good, good luck with that. Hey, we, we're not talking fishing at all? It's up no, to you. You told me you had X amount. I mean, if, if you yeah. want to, I can, I can keep, I nobody's can beating on the, nobody's beating on the studio door right now. So okay, I got fine. You know. Well then, okay. If you want to do the fishing, I got to ask you one more golf question. Yes. And it's important. And it sort of flew under the radar, but obviously DeShambo, you mentioned him with the Ryder cup team and, yes. and how crazy his swing is and how much he bombs the ball and how much people hate the fact that he's super slow when he plays and yada, yada, yada. And he's sort of on an Island you know, he, he has friends, but he's kind of, he does his own thing, right? He goes to yeah. the, he goes to the tee for six hours after a round uh, to the practice. Like, what are you doing? But there's a reason why his game is elevated to the place it is now. And, and so recently the story came out that his long-term caddy broke up with him literally in the middle of a tournament, which is, that just doesn't happen. So my question for you is again, through your knowledge and being around the game as, as close to it as it is, how, important is that caddy golfer relationship and how much does the caddy make the golfer i mean granted obviously these guys to be at the level they're at to be playing on the pga tour have to be phenomenal players to begin with but how much does that caddy add to what their physical and mental game is how important are they to them well i i think the mental mental part of it quite a bit um you know the caddy relationship with the player you talk to any player i mean they that that caddy's a confidant they spend so much time with that caddy that caddy is someone who's a reassuring presence somebody will say hey do you do you want to do this do you want to do that and it's it's funny you'll see <clears throat> excuse me caddy player arguments on the golf course like oh they're gonna fire the, the caddy but you think about it you know caddies by name like uh bones mckay now is a commentator on nbc so do you think he didn't matter to phil's career and doesn't know the game John Wood now was Matt Kuchar's longtime caddy. He's out there walking fairways with me uh, on the PGA Tour. So, yeah, they know golf. They know the shots. It matters. A lot of them are pretty good players uh, themselves. Uh, Xander Shoffley just won gold. Austin Kaiser, his caddy, was a teammate of his in college. Really good golfer. So, yeah, they know they know their player. They know their player's swing. They know how they're hitting the golf ball. Um, so, yeah, they are a significant influence on their game and how they perform you know ultimately the player's the boss you know what they say goes they they overrule on club choice selection and all those things but you know players want a consistent caddy and sometimes they want the caddy to just give me a number sometimes they want hey what do you think um but they are absolutely significant that's why we mention their names on our broadcasts on pg tour radio uh, that's why you know you know teddy scott right? Uh, Bubba Watson's caddy. Like these are names that are familiar now. Yeah. Michael Greller. Yeah. I mean, yes. Michael Greller, Jordan Spieth's caddy. caddy. Yep. Um, So for you, you kind of, I'm I'm just guessing this, I've never asked you this question, but when you're covering tournaments for Sirius XM and you're, you're inside the ropes, you're right on the, on the golf course with the golfers, you I'm assuming get there a day or two earlier practice rounds, you're watching guys, but you're also doing for your preparation, some of the same precise work that the caddies do, right? In terms of getting yardages and lies and rough length and, um, yeah. you know, the stimp meter and how greens are running and which way they're breaking and all of that, right? You you do all that research for yourself like a caddy would do when you're so going to go the day podcast. before. So yeah. we're, we're the day before uh, on a Wednesday during the pro-am practice round. And yes, we, we have the yardage books the caddies get, the caddies and players get. Uh, we take those out there with them. We go and survey the course. We'll go out there and, and walk certain things, look at the condition of the rough uh, of the fairways. We'll look at the greens. We talk to the caddies and the players. That's our, you know, our day to talk to them um, during it. Uh, I'll even during the round, if there's a question, I ask the caddies, right? For the most part, unless it's like, uh, if I get a chance to talk to the player, uh, I will I'll give you a, a, an example of it. Uh, Mexico championship, right? Uh, Club de Gulp to Tepultepec. Love that place. It's in Mexico City. First hole, drivable par four. It's like three, four, it's maybe 370, but it plays like 330 downhill or something. And you're 8,000 uh, 8, feet above sea level, so it's going to travel further. So Rory, Rory nearly aces the hole. Uh, and, and just, I mean, throws a, it's a tap-in. It, was, it almost aced the par four. And I hit iron off the tee. And so, because his caddy, Harry Diamond, was doing something, I'm in the back of the green. Roy's like, oh, 
I go, hey, Rory, what, you know, I just, I go, what was that? He goes, uh, that was my four iron. <laughs> I'm like, okay. All right. Thanks, Rory. Boom. And then the next day he hits it on again and he just, and he's walking him and goes, same as yesterday. <laughs> like, he already knew I was going to ask him. So, um, you know, that part's kind of cool to talk to him. You know, uh, the caddies are great information. They'll tell me a lot um, during it. If I have a question or something, hit a ruling, whatever, they'll flash. If you wonder sometimes how announcers know, like there's hand signals. All right. So, you know, that's an eight iron. That's pitching wedge. No kidding. Bed. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, some will say, hey, do you want me to give them to you? Like, yes. So you look over and you, you catch it and you know what it is. That is super cool. And that's amazing. This is why people watch Bull in the Basement for information on <laughs> like that, for sure. Um, and then Rory McIlroy, for those of you that don't know, this is kind of cool. Western New York relate. Married a girl from Ironicway. Yes. Um, and uh, I understand is like uh, a member at Oak Hill. He's got his own locker. He, you know, randomly shows up and play around here and there just for fun. And, and has really embraced Western New York, actually. He, I, you know what? So I mentioned those Zoom chats. I had a chance to uh, host one with him. It was like in November. He missed his uh, obligation from the player from the tour championship because his, they, they uh, had Poppy, their first child. That's right. And so he wanted to make it up. So they I said, hey, can you host this thing with Rory with, you know, a couple of these companies? I'm like, sure. We got on 50. I had 15 minutes with him. We're just shooting the bowl like this. For, and we we're talking about Rochester uh, quite a bit. So, yeah, he's fond of the area. He's fond of the pizza up here in Western New York, you know, in, in our region. We we're talking about that a lot. And uh, he's, you know what, for a, a world star, that's Rory McIlroy is a world star. I got to tell you, he is just a super nice guy. Um, I, you know, I would say as down to earth as they come, right? I mean, he's just a genuinely nice guy, which is uh, refreshing in the world of sports. Okay, Kev. So, okay, here's your chance now. <laughs> fishing. Well, I didn't know if you want to talk fishing. You know, well, we, Here's the thing. So for me, like my wife got me the whole nine yards a couple of years ago. I don't know if it was for Christmas or a birthday or anniversary or something. I don't know. That means she wanted to get you out of the house. <laughs> Basically. Well, yeah. And go learn how to fish. And not that we'll eat for a day, but we'll live forever. Right. Yes. Um, so she got me the pole, the tackle box, all the, the whole nine yards. Right. I just, I get, I don't know if I have like undiagnosed ADD or something, but I just get bored out of my mind. I know people are like, I love it. So I can go out there and clear my mind and relax and not think and I'm one with nature and blah, blah, blah. And that stuff drives me bananas. So you're telling me that you, well, you grew up fishing. Am I right? I did. Yes. Okay. So you grew up fishing in Waterloo or in that area on the creeks yep. there. But now since you've moved here to Western New York years ago, you have continued your, your, your fishing dominance here. And now well, no, I just took it up. So I just got, uh... you just got back into it reacquainted with it but okay in a different way last year during the pandemic so we could golf remember in the spring then we couldn't golf and i'm like right. well what the hell i'm gonna take up steelhead i just said i'm a steelhead fish like uh, you know I, I have a friend who did it i'm like take me fishing so he took me uh steelhead fishing and i caught one and is immediately addicted because the fight in a in a river stream is awesome they jump all over the place they're super hard to catch uh, very finicky and, you know, presentation's important. And then, um, at, so, you know, like any, any guy went on bought all, all the stuff. I'm like, I'm, I'm going all in here. And, uh, you got the waiters, the whole thing, oh, right? I'm on my second pair of waiters. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, first pair had a leak. I'm like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> and, and then, uh, that second pair too, I was a little too confident. I'm like, well, why is it getting cold here? Oh, I'm a little too deep, you know? Trying to because tying the damn knot and the leader on there, it takes me forever. This mm -hmm. fine filament crap, and uh, I get snagged. I'm like, damn it! I just tied it. I'm going to get it, and I'm like, shit! I'm too. Oh, sorry. I'm I'm too far out there. And uh, but man, I'm telling you, when you get one on, it's worth it. You know, there's a, a lot of some hiking involved to get to the spots. Yep. That part. Matter of fact, I I decided I'm gonna go lower Niagara. This is in the winter. Uh, well, I'm in like March. Me, I'm gonna go lower Niagara uh a friend's son who catches these monsters like i'm gonna go do it and he tells me so the kid messaged me on facebook tells me where to go and so i'm, I'm hiking down i go to art park I'm, I'm hiking down to the bank and i'm like all right he's saying go under the whirlpool bridge 
I'm like, how the hell does he get down there? And I see, <laughs> I see these ropes and I'm like, I've got to repel down. So that's what I did. I'm repelling down. <laughs> I, I am like, uh, I'm it's an adventure course. Oh my gosh. Well, let me tell you, I'm also like, I'm repelling to my death because if this tree breaks, you know, um, I was a little heavier over the winter and like this tree breaks, uh, I'm falling straight down a uh, smack in my head off a rock and into the damn thing. Um, and I got down there and I could see the fish. They were teasing me. They're jumping out of the air you know, out of the water, breaching, nothing, just not, you know, not even going for, you know, what I'm presenting. Um, but they, it was they knew you were an COVID. amateur. They're like, ah, yes, let's get mess with this guy. I need someone to take me there to show me, uh, exactly how they do it. Um, cause you know, most streams around you can go into the water. Like I'm not going into the, I'm not going to low Niagara. I'm fishing from the bank there. Like, you know, how fast that water is not right. a chance. Yeah. Um, or you have to tie a rope to me, uh, to do that to a tree. Um, but it, it, it's, it's cool. Um, it's, there's some danger involved. As a matter of fact, <laughs> my, my son was asking me, dad, how'd you break that pole? Like uh, you use longer, longer pole, like, you know, up to 13 foot rods. And I was 18 mile creek in Hamburg. Like there's a, a bridge area there. And I'm, uh, I was on a good run. I had a good run going and I wanted to keep it going. So uh, like a dumb, like an idiot, I start, I'm like, I, I can climb these rocks. And I had the, you got the spikes on your boots and I catch a spike and I, and you know when you're going to fall and you know, you know, you're going to fall. Like, I was like, okay, I am going here. So I threw the pole to catch, to catch, I caught myself in a push-up position with my face sideways. So it didn't smack it off this giant boulder, like just caught it and was more pissed that I broke my rod tip and my dick was done <laughs> and I had to climb out of the gorge than, than the fact that I fell and had this massive bruise on my leg, whatever. But that element there is too, like, you know, you're out in nature and, uh, you know, it, it, some of it's unpredictable. It's, it's yeah. pretty cool. I, uh, I fly fished for the first time last year out in Colorado that was uh, that was a little bit different, uh, but did you get anything? Did you get anything? I did. I did. It okay. took me a little bit. Took me probably about 15, 20 minutes of of doing it and practicing. Yeah. It that is that is artwork to fly fish. You got to know how to do it right, um, because if you don't do it right, it's not going to work for you. Yeah, so I just bought a fly rod. I just bought one, um, so I'm I'm going to because when I see guys. Uh, catch him on fly rods. It looks even better than on my center pin reel. Um, it just, you know, and they catch bigger fish. So, so you're going to take up. a uh, fly fishing masterclass. Uh, I no. Why would I take a class? You know, I, I got YouTube. Just go do I it on YouTube. Or that. Okay. Fine. I'll tell you one of the cool. So have you been, have you ever been deep sea fishing? I love deep sea fishing. And that's my favorite thing of all time because you, I mean, some of the things that you can get and see and watch other people get is mind blowing. So this is oh, fishing. But I've, been once, I've been once. It was this past year. It was in Hawaii. Um, I was there for work. I know a tough assignment, right? Yeah, Gotta oh, go to Hawaii for two weeks. So we had one off day, and our engineer, uh, Jaime, who is awesome. This guy he's, he's my favorite guy to work with. He's just a blast. And I go, Jaime, I want to go fishing. You want to go fishing? He's like, he's like, Yeah, I'll set it up. We'll go, we'll go out in a charter. So we we're in uh North Shore of Oahu, we went out. Uh, right near pipeline beach where they surf. Right. Yeah. And the guys are like, Hey, do you want to go, we can go 15 miles out for Marlins or we can stay in the inner reef here, inner shelf, like three miles. I'm like, let's stay there. You know, it's looking a little uh, rough. Well, nothing's happening all day. Right. You know, except for us having some beers and uh, so nothing's happening. Um, and then my like sunsets coming in and all of a sudden, boom, this explosion. Right. So the first mate tries to get it on and he, and he missed it. Right. So the captain's like, I'm circling back. That was a Marlin. And we're like, really? Wow. It's circles back. We come right back to the path. All of a sudden, boom. And they're like, Kevin, get on that. So I, uh, I go grab the pole and, and it's just like, zzz, I mean, it's just singing. Right. And they're like, just wait, wait. They're like, tell me to wait. And like, everybody's yelling on the boat, like going nuts. And uh, so I'm like, all right, this must be something special. So it, 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 it starts to slow down. They're like, hit it. I'm like, all right. So I start cranking on it. And, and 200 yards out, this fish comes out of the water. And it, and it was majestic, man. It was a blue marlin, right? They're like, blue marlin, oh, they're going. Like, now they're, I mean, this is, a, this is a charter captain. He's like going crazy. 
Now it's getting dusk. He's like, we got one shot at this. Let's go. And I'm, I'm like cranking on this thing. And I'm, I am like screaming, you know, like I'm, I'm telling him, I get up. He's like, no, you got it. You got it. So anyways, 30 yards from the boat, it comes out and dances across the water. It was, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. The, uh, the yeah, of course, no one has it on video. Oh no, we have it on video. Oh good. Yes. Okay. Uh, it was awesome. We have it on video. So then, then we're getting it, we're getting it close. I mean, it's just like we're approaching an hour, like in fighting this thing. Back of the boat, the guy's calling, gaff, need a gaff. So my buddy Jaime or hands in the gaff, he goes to gaff it and it snaps off. It just no. Yes. Oh, yes. Come right. On. So uh um, he's like, you gotta be kidding me. He's like, I had it my the leaders in my hand. I'm ready. like he was ready to swing it. And he just looks at me, he's like, Man, I'm so sorry. I go, What are you sorry about? I go, that was a thrill of a lifetime. Are you kidding me? I go, we got it on video. I go, we got it right there. I saw it. It was massive. And uh, I said, I'm good. I said, plus, I'm, I, you know, I would, you would have to kill it. You just saved me probably a couple grand in mounting fees. And right. shit. There's, no, there's no way. That's right. There's no way my wife. Yeah, I didn't see it behind you in your, in your man cave there in your, in your studio. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Hold on. Here we go. So. There, you know, there is a, I had this made, you can see him, yep. see him right there coming out of the water. You know, that's, uh, that, that's me here cranking on it, you know, <laughs> with the mate there, but that's cool. It was awesome. It was so awesome. I said, are you kidding me? That was a thrill of a lifetime. And uh, hey, I'll not, tell you what, yeah. I don't know if you've done it and I'm assuming you have at this point, but I went um, salmon and trout fishing in Lake Ontario last year, or maybe it was a year and a half, two years ago. And man, some of the fish you catch out there are yeah. enormous and the fights are brutal. I mean, you're putting all of your being into the fights with these fish. Uh, it, it, it is remarkable. I mean, I mean, man v nature. Um, yes. What's There's out 20, there? You get a 20, 20 pounders routine out there. For sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. Remarkable. If you're not, listen, even if you're not like a hardcore uh, fisherman, if you're not, going out with one of these great charter captains we have on either Lake Ontario, Lake Erie here in Western New York, just for a day. Right. I mean, yep. they've got all the gear, right. And you might yeah. say, well, wow, it's 500 bucks to go. You know what? It's worth it. Yeah. It is worth it. Yep. You spend a day. You'll see what, what great fishing we have here in Western New York. It's awesome. So, you know, who knows, Bo, I might even do a fishing show at some point. That's how, <laughs> that's how into it I'm getting. Yeah. You'll, you'll get that. You and Jim Hanley will do something right together. Yeah, that's right. Hey, yeah, I, I loved that when he did that great Northeast outdoors. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I, I had him, we, we chartered, uh, chartered him last year to go smallmouth fishing. It was my, my well, he was 10 then, my 11 year loved it. Yeah. I mean, we caught 30 smallmouths. It was like bang, bang. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's super cool. And lastly, on fishing, um, I always joke that I haven't really done, I'm, I'm not a handy guy. I, I don't do construction or anything like that. So I have like radio hands. So anybody that has like really soft hands with no calluses or blisters or whatever, if you're going to have any kind of fishing in your future, wear gloves because the blisters that I took home with me from, yeah. from going salmon and trout fishing were not fun. And you're, and you're, and you're, you're doing first aid, like all in the process of catching fish as well. So like, yes, um, my, my, my only tip. Here's a, here's a, so it's funny. My, my, my youngest, I have three kids. My youngest is 11 now, but gosh, he's had to be three years ago. So even eight, we, we, you know, maybe even younger than that. He's going to cast, right? We're just fishing the, the neighborhood pond for bass. And I see the bobber, like he casts it forward. And I see the bobber go flying out in the water. I'm like, your line broke. Where the hell's the hook? And then I look at my arm and, <laughs> it in the, and I'm like, and he, he's like, oh, my God, I killed dad, right? So he's riding his bike home, and I'm looking. I'm like, it's a barbed hook. I'm like, and that sucker, like, you know, the skin is coming up. I'm like, geez, that's in there. Now, uh, I have a neighbor who is a, a surgeon. I was looking to see if he was home. I'm like, I'm like, geez, I, I got to see if I can get this. Now, I get home. My wife is, like, sleeping out by, you know, uh, out in the patio, like, taking a nap. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to wake her up. And I'm like, I got to get this thing out. So I got some pliers and I'm like, I was going to push it through because again, it's barbed and it's in there pretty deep. And I go to push it. I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. So then I'm like, I got to back it out. It was, 
you know, in the movie scenes where they're taking the bullet out themselves. Yeah. Right. I felt like this. I actually got a, a kitchen towel. I bit on the towel and, and pulled it back out. So good. I mean, I was dripping with sweat, you know, because my daughter came, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, she's like, oh, I'm not taking that out. I'm like, all right, just stay here in case I, you know, pass out. I couldn't believe how tough it was to get out, how much I was, I was just drenched in sweat and like trying to get this stupid. I mean, it wasn't a big hook, but I mean, it was in there. And I was like, damn. Oh, oh. that's awesome. Well, not really, but it's, it's a great yeah, story. No, it was, it was All right. So listen, when's your uh, next Sirius XM? And so tell us about that where people yeah. can listen to you. And then uh, Tita Green, tell us about uh, where people can listen to that. Sure. Uh, my next uh, Sirius XM PGA Tour radio event will be the BMW Championship, second playoff event. That's going to be the last weekend in August. So if that Thursday, I think it's August 26th. Uh, I'll be doing that. And we'll be on from uh, about noon to 7 p.m. Eastern. And again, that's on Sirius XM 92 and 108 or, you know, on PGTour.com or PGTour app, the leaderboards, they have a headset icon there. You click on that, you listen for free when we're on. Um, and then TD Green, we have, uh, God, just about a month to go uh, in our season on uh, WGR 550 AM. And that's from 7 to 8 a.m. every Saturday morning. T2green.golf, it's the number two is the two. T2green.golf is our website. Uh, you can check it out there. We uh, have some podcasts out there. We need to do more of those, but we uh, put some up every now and then when something important's happening in golf and in the offseason. So that's what we got going on, Bull. Good. I don't expect to be a guest on Tita Green uh, for good reason. Well, you were playing behind us in some of those shots. Yeah, you're not, you're not, uh, <laughs> not in the lineup yet. <laughs> and by the way, DeChambeau, speed up your game. You slowed us down tremendously. Yeah, I was trying to do like a four hour round that it ended up being like 410, 415. So come on, man. You know, I <laughs> I don't think I play that slow, but I'm sure I, I play a little slower than most. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing this, man. Uh, hey, I had a lot of fun. Pleasure. Hopefully you did too. And we'll do it again. All right. I did. My pleasure, Bull. All right. Thanks, man. See you.